So the parable of the talents has this big overarching goal, really. And I would say that the idea, the big idea that we're after, that I think Jesus was after here, is that God expects that his children would use their gifts for his glory in all spheres of life. So let me say that again. The big picture from this parable would be that God expects that his children would use their gifts for his glory in all spheres of life. That would be the big picture. David Winham says about this parable that it is a parable that highlights responsibility and accountability. It's a parable that highlights responsibility and accountability. The emphasis then in this parable is on the need for work and productivity set over against laziness and timidity. This parable focuses on the need for work and productivity over against laziness and timidity. This morning, what I want to do is kind of break the parable down, and we're going to just kind of latch on to at least five aspects. It's really a full parable once you look at it. It's very vast. You could teach a number of, you could do a number of sermons on it. But this morning, what we're going to do is kind of drill down into five areas. Success, talents, equality, ownership, and accountability. Success, talents, equality, ownership, and accountability. So let's talk about this first one. The parable first teaches us this. That in order for us to be successful, we must be people who work. In order for us to be successful in life and what God has ordained for us, we must be people who are working. Now, oftentimes when we get to this parable, it's a parable that many people limit merely to church work. They limit this parable, they draw this parable down, and they think of it only in terms of giftings that are spiritual in nature and not necessarily the wide spectrum of our lives in terms of our work both here in the church and there in the world. And to limit it would be a bad thing. We want to broaden the parable. We want to think of the parable in light of the fact that the parable is telling us Not only about those things that are spiritual, but those things that are worldly, so to speak. Sometimes we draw this this dividing line, and and, and in the history of the church we've done it, where we talk about the secular and the spiritual. And we want to erase those lines somewhat this morning, and we want to think of all of our lives as spiritual in nature. We don't just come and do spiritual things at church, and we don't just have men and women who are called to spiritual functions, but all of life being a part of the spiritual realm for us. And if we think about it that way, it'll help us. Sometimes we think about work as a product of the fall. Work is bad. The Bible tells us, That God created us to work. He created us, and before the fall ever happened, He placed Adam and Eve in the garden, and He gave to them the job of working that garden, of even expanding that garden. And so Adam and Eve's job was, they were to come, they were to make the garden a habitable place, and then as they produced 
images of God, as they had offspring, they were to go out into the world and they were to push the boundaries of the garden so that they were to make this world a habitation for God, a place where he could come and inhabit it. And so that was the idea behind, behind God giving them this function that they were to go and to work, and that they were to work the garden, and that they were to recreate images of their creator. And those images of God were to go out into the world, and they were to make the world a place that God could come and live and dwell and be in their midst. And so we have to, we have to stop thinking about the about the fall giving us work. Instead, God gave us work before the fall, and it is good. And work is something that God created us for. Now, that having been said, we know that the fall frustrated work. The fall made work difficult. So now as we go out and we work the ground, it produces thorns and thistles. And so there are problems in work, there are uh, there miscommunication occurs, problems occur. Um, we're constantly in the problem-solving realm, and uh, I hope Tommy doesn't mind me using him. He's been traveling back and forth over uh, to work as a as a company takes this function, this job that he's been doing that he knows so well, and they integrate their business and they learn to do it. And listening to him talk about it, I, I've, often, I've reflected on the fact that um, it's very much the fall at work. Getting people on board and, and on task and learning to do the job that's before them and then doing it in a way that it produces success down the road. Very difficult to do, to get everybody moving in the same direction. And the reason that it's difficult, the reason that those monkey, monkey wrenches are there is because of the fall. The fall has made our work frustrating and difficult. And so it's hard on us. But we must not lose sight of the fact that God created us to work. And so that work is a good thing. And in order to be successful in life and in the calling that God has given to us, we must be people that work and work hard. I have a good friend who is, uh, he has worked for me, with me, a couple of different times and, um, in the capacity of youth minister, youth director. And, um, and I kept laboring. He has tremendous gifts in terms of communication and so on. And so I kept telling him, Chris, you need to be in the church. I was young, um, and I had a little bit of that secular, um, that, that secular spiritual dichotomy in my thinking. And so I kept pushing Chris, you need to go to seminary. You need to think about a degree. You need to get your master divinity. And so finally I talked him into it and he started and he went to RTS and he started working on that degree. And at the same time, he was working in the banking industry. He was a banker. He had gone to a very prestigious banking school. He went through, he got his degree. We were talking one day and he finally looked at me and he said, Sam, I just want to be the best banker I can be. And so that's what he does. He just finished the LSU School of Banking. He went down and and added another degree to his name. He's an amazing banker. He's a phenomenal job. He's connected. He's in Montgomery, and he's all over the place. 
And at the same time, he leads Child Evangelism Fellowship. He's an elder in his church at the ripe old age of 30 years old. So he's doing phenomenal work inside and outside the church. But he, he got rid of those distinctions and he sees all of life as an opportunity for him to glorify God. And he invests in his work the exact same way he invests in his work in the church. And so he sees those two worlds coming together. He's incredibly successful. We need to see our work as a product of God's creation. He gave it to us in order that we would give glory to Him as we go out and we do the things in the world that He's called us to do. Whatever that is. Whatever it looks like. And so here, the first key to success is us understanding that work is of God. Designed by Him for His creatures. And as we go out and as we do it, as we take our talents and abilities and we put them to use, not just in the church, but in the world, it brings glory to God and it is good. Listen to the Apostle Paul, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. See the Apostle Paul elevating whatever you do, whatever work you're involved in, be it making tents, being a steel worker, be it a mother changing diapers, whatever it is, go out and do it and do it as if you are working for the Lord, not for human masters. When I was in the Air Force, um, you know, took this idea, and when I got to Mountain Home and I began counseling these guys, they would come into me, and they're working on jets, okay? So they may be a jet engine mechanic, they may be a hydraulics mechanic, they may be an avionics guy, whatever it was, they were, you know, they're coming for counseling. And so many times, the things that they were coming in for were workplace-related, they're coming in, their bosses are just, they're terrible. They don't know how to lead and on and on in the job. And, and I would often tell, I would, ask, I would often ask them, are you a Christian? And they would say, yes. And I would say, then here's what is before you. What is before you is to go out and to be the best avionics guy you can be. You know why? Because you're not working for that staff sergeant, that tech sergeant, that master sergeant. You're working for the glory of God. And they would look at me and say, but it's avionics, chaplain. And I would say, and it matters to the Lord how you do your job. Right? And so we want to get that right. First and foremost, success as we go out and work is a product of our hard work and viewing it. Um, as unto the Lord. Proverbs 12:11. Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. The Bible directs us to work. Here's the second thing. The second thing we learn from this parable is that we all have talents. We all have abilities. Now, obviously in this story, the parable... Um, as it's given to us, the talent that is being dispensed is money. It's monetary in nature. And generally, it's understood that a talent was about 10 years wages. If you're, if you're in the NIV, there's a footnote down there. It says a talent was more than $1,000. Shame on them. 
a talent was a lot more than a thousand dollars. It was a significant amount of money. They kind of get it wrong there. Yes. So this talent was a tremendous amount of money. So the first man received five talents. Five talents. Now, Auburn math tells me that's going to be five talents times ten years' wages. That's 50 years' worth of wages. Pretty good, huh? You're impressed. A lifetime of work is represented in that first man's talents. Work yourself, work your way down. John Calvin came along because typically speaking, this was being narrowly applied until Calvin and people were thinking of it only in the financial arena, only in that way. Calvin came along and said, okay, yes, this parable is, is talking about talents and we understand that to be a monetary issue, but certainly Jesus meant more than mere money. And he did. As we think about the parable, we understand he's talking not merely about monetary talent. He's talking about talent in the way that you and I use that word. Talent. Ability. Opportunity. This, this, these men were being given gifts and abilities, not just money. And we can think of it that way as well. And so what we learn here, quite simply, is God has given to us abilities. He has given to us spiritual gifts. He's given to us natural abilities and talents and gifts. And, it's, and it is good for us to see that, to know it, and to understand it. In his book of A Kind of Life Imposed on Man, scholar Paul Marshall described Calvin's challenge to believers as a call to work, to perform, to develop, to progress, to change, to choose, to be active and to overcome until the day of their death or the return of their Lord. What was John Calvin saying? He was saying, listen, with the abilities and the talents you have, you and I are to take them and apply them and apply them and strive with them and go with them and use them until one or two things happen. Until we die or the Lord returns. Right? Talent. He's given us those abilities. Calvin was saying, use them. Use them until you go into the ground or until the Lord returns for you. And if we do that, we can be confident in the eventual success that will come our way. Listen to the Apostle Paul again. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2.10. Now, once again, another verse often probably too narrowly applied to merely salvation and the idea of our salvation. Certainly, the Apostle Paul could also be saying to us, God created us for good works, actual works in the world. These aren't hypothetical works. God created you and I. He made us. We're His handiwork in order that we would go out into the world and work. He prepared them in advance for us to do. And so we learn here that 
We have abilities. We have talent. And we're to use them for the glory of God. Here's the third thing. The third thing is we learn from this parable, um, we learn about the myth of equality. All right? The myth of equality. You and I have grown up in a country where they have told us from the get-go, what? You can be and do whatever you want to be and do. And that is, that is true. And we've also been told that all men are created, what? Equal. And we are. Because we're created in the image of God. But we're not created equal in the sense that we all have the same gifts and talents and abilities. There is no equality there. I cannot do what you have done. And vice versa, you can't do what I have done and am doing. Because we're different. We've been given different talents, different giftings, different abilities. God made us different individuals. The equality comes in that we're created equally in His sight. That is, we have the image of God. We bear His image to the world around us. There is a part of our equality. And the second place you will see equality is in the fact that when God comes to these individuals, when He comes to these men, what does He say to the first two? He says, well done. Enter into my joy, right? He gives, them the, he gives them the same accolade. He gives them the same pat on the back. Did they produce the same? No. One produced, produced five more talents. The other produced two more talents. And yet when the Lord came alongside them, he said, well done. You did exactly what I called you to do. Even though you didn't produce the same amount, you produced what I had intended for you to produce. And so he gives them a pat on the back. And so the praise that God gives as these men used their talent and ability was equal. It was the same, even though the result was different. Now, as we think about that, as we think about our own lives, we think about the uniqueness of who we are and the way that God made us. Listen, there's a tendency for us to experience a little bit of what I call gift envy. And that is, sometimes we look to the guy or the gal to our right or our left or the person, and we begin to think, oh, I wish I could do that, or I wish, I wish I had that ability, or I wish I had that talent, instead of looking at our own lives, evaluating who we are, and then taking what God has given to us and putting it to use. Let me ask you the question. Have you evaluated your life, both the spiritual gift and the natural abilities, and are you using them actively for the glory of God? I know I'm pushing a button this morning, okay? This is Lake Oconee. Some of you came here to retire, right? You came here to enjoy the good life. How about let's say this? It is possible for you to come to Lake Oconee and retire and still use the gifts and talents and abilities that God has given to you for His glory. Do it. Amen? Okay? You, you should, maybe you need a reevaluation of where you're at. A reevaluation of the gifts you have and the abilities you have now. They change. We change. We acquire new gifts. We acquire new talent. 
We acquire new skill. And maybe you need to reevaluate and say, hmm, I did this before. I'm here. My golf game's not what it should be. Maybe I can invest a little bit of time elsewhere. Right? God created us to work. As Calvin said, until we go into the ground or the Lord comes. All right, let's finish up. The equality. Uh, the fourth thing I want to highlight, these last two quickly. The parable teaches us that we work for the Master. We've already hit this a little bit, right? The Apostle Paul puts it this way. Whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, you do it all to the glory of God. Right? Simply put, you're not working for you. You're working for Him. You're not working to put more in for you. You're not working for credit. You're not working for advancement. Whatever it is, ultimately you're working for the Lord. He created you. He created you to the work. He gave you talents and abilities in order that you would reflect His glory, that you would expand the kingdom out there and that you would bring Him glory. Ultimately, it's good for you when you do what the Lord created you to do. But you and I are working for the Master. We see it in the parable, right? The Master gave the talent. He went away. When He returned, He expected something from it, from those who had been given. Here's the fifth thing. What we do with our talent matters to God. What we do with our talent matters to God. You see it in the very ending of the parable, not a popular place to spend your quiet time reading. Right? Verse 26, He comes, He encounters the third servant, And the third servant had merely taken the money and dug a hole and he put it in the ground. This is an interesting part of the parable because we get, yes, we're learning about work. Yes, we're learning about work out there and we're learning about work in the kingdom. But we're also learning here something that Jesus has taught all the way through the book of Matthew. In many, many parables it shows up and that is there are often, there are, are often tares sown in among the wheat. Because this man has no love for the Master. What did he think of the Master? Not a whole lot. He thought that the Master was hard and that he reaped where he hadn't sown. He thought that the Master was greedy. And so he went and he took took the treasure, he dug a hole, the the talent, and he stuck it in there, and then he just gave gave it back to him, thinking, okay, this will be sufficient. And it wasn't sufficient. Why? Because what we do with our abilities matters to God. Who we are and what we do matters to Him. And He has called us to take and to multiply what it is that we have. He's asked us to take our gifts and to use them out in the world. He's asked us to advance His kingdom and to push out the boundaries, to bring, uh, to, to subdue all creation in order that we give Him glory. Remember, you may have heard this statement, but the Reformers were fond of saying that our salvation is by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. With me? Salvation is by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. So, yes, we enter into the salvation, it is by faith, 
and we walk by faith even as we're in Christ. But that faith produces, and it produces good works, both in the church and outside the church. And so what Jesus is saying is that this gentleman failed to produce good works, which means his life was revealed to not be what he was professing, right? It's the same for us. It's the same in the church today. It, it, you know, we talked about this a week or so ago. You know, when I bought that house in Yazoo City, they told me there are pear trees back there. And if, had I walked back there year after year and there was never a pear on that tree, then I could have reasonably assumed that they lied to me. And those were not, in fact, pear trees because they never produced a pear. You and I are called to produce good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. Are we producing them? It's a question that we have to ask. It's an evaluation that we have to take of our own life. Where are we producing good works in our lives? It's a product of our faith. It doesn't make us faithful. It's a product of our faith. It reveals that there's a true lasting faith deep, deeply rooted into our hearts and brought about by us knowing the Lord Jesus. So, where are you at? What is taking place right now, right now in your life with the talent and the ability that God has given to you? Are you using it for His glory? Do you understand that God expects us as His children to use our gifts for His glory in all spheres of life? Are you out there pushing the boundaries, looking for locations? Let me just put a plug in for our ministry teams, right? Take a look. There's a brochure. There are brochures that are available. There are elders and deacons. There are members all around you. If you aren't a member of a ministry team, what a great opportunity to plug yourself in, to find a place for you to utilize your gifts and talents right here in this church. And then to be encouraged to use them elsewhere outside of the church as well. It's a great place to start if you're struggling in that arena. Let me pray for us. Father, we would thank you this morning that the Lord Jesus spoke to us about this subject. And Father, as we await his return or as, uh, or as we wait until uh, our final breath, Father, let us be active in the work of your kingdom. Let us be active pushing the boundaries of subduing, being out, available, using all of the gifts and talents and abilities that you've given to us. Would we do it for your glory, that it would be for our good and the good of those around us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.